that was sort of an all shucks, you know, yeah, we know kind of laugh or laughing like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't, I'll let you all be the judge of that. All right. I think I know where Danny's coming from, but, uh, how about we pray together and then we'll, we'll look at God's work. Lord Jesus, this morning, we are grateful that you have made us beautiful. Lord, by your life and your death and your resurrection and the offer of grace and mercy to sinners like us, that you have changed our lives. You have cleaned us out from the inside out and made us new people. And Lord, in your presence, we stand as indeed beautiful individuals and a beautiful congregation. And Lord, we know that that is what resonates this morning. That's what radiates from our faces and our lives. And Lord, may those who need hope this morning find it in you. So God, speak to us. From your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've done a bunch of weddings. I mentioned all the funerals last week that I've done. I've done a ton of weddings as well. And uh, by the way, I wear the same tie for both, just so you know. (laughs) Same suit, same tie. Just because, now the cat's out of the bag, I shouldn't have said that. But but I wear the same tie for both. I used to wear two different ones, and then I thought, eh, you know, so same same wedding funeral tie. All all weddings are, they're so special. And, and they're so exciting for the people that are involved. And, and, uh, and there's nothing like it. And, and maybe you have been through that with, with, with yourself or someone close to you. And boy, the excitement that builds for so long. And it seems like the engagement period just takes forever. And, and, and then finally the wedding day arrives. The, the first wedding that I ever did is the one that still stands out to me. I was brand new in ministry. I had not been in ministry for very long at all. And and a, and a good friend of mine that I had sort of grown up with, he was a few years younger than me, and our families had been friends for, for years, he asked me if I would do his wedding ceremony. And he was marrying a girl from West Virginia, and so I had to get certified by the Secretary of State in West Virginia to do weddings there. Some states, just so you know, don't require anything some states do. This one, my very first wedding, I have to go before the Supreme Court of... I'm just joking. I had... I had <laughs> I had to get registered in West Virginia to perform weddings, and so I did, and so here we go, and everything's good, and, and so we, we drive there to Huntington, West Virginia, and everybody's so excited, and, 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 and the time before we're getting ready to walk out, he's, he's really nervous. You know, guys are bad about this because they, they say, I know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good, and I, you know, and I got this, and then no big deal. Like they, you know, like they've ever really done this before. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And so this guy was as nervous as he could be. He got a drink of water every 30 seconds. He's, man, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, you know. But he's claiming he's not nervous. I'm thirsty, you know. So every 30 seconds, he's going to the water fountain. And I'm more nervous than he is because I've never done this before either. Now, I'd gotten married, but I never performed a wedding ceremony. What in the world do you do? What do you say? I had all my notes ready to go. And my whole thing is just don't mess this up. Just make sure that you somehow, you know, whatever you say, you get them married, you know. And, and there's a few things you kind of got to do in the ceremony. And, you know, everything else is fluff. And, okay, we got to do these things. And so we get to the part, we do the vows, and, man, we nailed that. And I'm like, all right, you know. Well, what had happened before the wedding, though, that I knew was coming when we get to the rings part was, was something I was a little bit nervous about. I'm standing down here. The, the groom is standing next to me and his best man is, is to his left and, and, and all the bridesmaids are, are walking in. And, and so we're standing, we're trying to smile and act like we're not nervous. And the, and the best man leans over to us and he says, I can't find the ring. 
I said, that's, you know, that's good. I like that, you know. That's funny, you know. Like he's nervous. I'm just, you know, keep it, you know. He said, no, really, I, really, really. And I'm, his look on his face is just as terrified. I'm like, this guy's serious, man. He can't find, can't find the ring. What in the world? And so I, I, we're standing there. Like I said, I mean, I, the music's playing. The girls are walking in. And, and so we're kind of having this side conversation. People think we're just excited, you know. And, and I said, well, well, we'll just fake it. I, you know, we'll just fake it. I don't know what else to do. And so, so, so we go on with the ceremony, and I get to the part with the vows. Man, all right, we do everything great. And there's the part that I'm nervous about. So I said, man, I have the rings, please. And I always turn to the girl first, and, and, I, and I get that ring, and then I turn to the guy, and I'm expecting he's going to put nothing in my hand, and he puts this ring in my hand. I'm kind of looking at him funny. He looks at me funny. And so we get, and I hand, uh, so he, the, the groom puts the, the ring on, on the bride, and it's this huge ring, and she looks down. <laughs> she looks up, and look, you know, and so she's, I mean, this look on her face is, I mean... <laughs> And so, and so anyway, so we just, you know, I kind of smile, you know, we go through the rest of the ceremony and, and whatever. And, and what had happened was that there was one guy out of the six groomsmen, he's on the very end and he was married. The only guy out of all six. So he took off his wedding band and they just passed it right behind their backs. I still don't know how they communicated all the way down. You know, it's like, I don't know what they did. Sign language or Morse code or something. They went, they passed it. So that's what she was wearing. She walks out is this dude's ring on the end of, you know, the groomsman. And so uh, anyway, eventually, by the way, they found the ring. It had fallen down into the lining of the, of the best man's jacket. It had a hole in it, in the tux. And so anyway, they dug through the entire church until he said, you know, I wonder if there's a hole in my pocket, you know, about three hours later. And so anyway, weddings, weddings are really, really exciting. And it's so, it's so neat. And there's so many little memorable things that happen. And I tell every couple in counseling or, or as I'm doing, getting ready to do the ceremony, I said, you know, something's going to happen that you'll just remember, you know, something will, will go wrong, but not too wrong. It'll just be one of those things that, uh, you know, and you'll remember it forever. And they are so excited. And maybe if you've been married, you know, that feeling, or maybe if you're a person who would like to be married, you've anticipated those feelings and you, you kind of say, Oh boy, what an exciting day. But, it, but it's interesting that somewhere along the way, the honeymoon ends and the marriage begins. Isn't that true? And you say, huh, huh, yeah, I know all about that, you know. But somewhere along the way, isn't it true that typically what happens in every marriage is that somewhere along the way it becomes a little less special, a little less exciting, and a little more casual. So unlike the, the wedding day and the anticipation, the excitement, and the special nature of that... And then at some point for many people, marriage after a few years isn't, isn't really defined by, well, this is our exclusive commitment to one another that for better or worse, we're going to stick together. Marriage is less defined by that and more defined by paying bills and going to work and fatigue that won't end and, and kids that command your attention and jobs that are less than satisfying. In a world that doesn't seem to care if you stay married or not. That's sort of how marriage kind of gets redefined over time, isn't it? It's all special and then then it really can sort of disintegrate. And I think each marriage that goes through those phases really just shows what's happening in our world to marriage kind of across the board. It's being redefined to fit our own purposes, to, to, to... 
result in a, in a belief that we can also then dictate how it's supposed to go and, and won't go if we kind of get tired of it. But, but our society, just so you know, and, and, and every once in a while I'll, I, I get cynical about this because we believe that in our society we are the worst society that has ever existed and that, that things that are happening now have never happened in history before. And, and certainly there are some things that are happening now that have never happened. But we are not the first society, whether that's in the United States or in the Western world or across the globe, we are not the first society to try to define and dictate marriage for our own purposes. We're not the first. People are people and people are sinners and sinners do selfish things and sinners want to define and dictate life and anything in life for themselves. And so we've always as people, we've always tried to find ways to make marriage and sexuality uh, something that we take into our own hands to define and to dictate to our wants and our whims. It's always been the case. And even among Christians, and this is where the sermon isn't so much for those people out there. By the way, since you're sitting here, guess who the sermon's for? And since I'm standing here, guess who it's for? Not for them, is it? It's for us. Because even among Christians, our sexuality, our marriages are largely something that, that we claim as our own. And we say, look, don't tell me what to do and what not to do. Now, you, 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 you may not be wanting to, to say that out loud, but some of you are thinking that. Now, hold on a second. Don't be trying to tell me what to do. Or it's something that we keep secret as if we're ashamed to talk about it. And church for whatever reason, is often the last place that you'll hear anything about sexuality or marriage. And, I, and I'll say this. Clint was up here earlier and talking about the Valentine's banquet that they had. The, the Two nights before that, and I'm so proud of what, of what he's doing, two nights before that had a discussion with, with the, the folks in our youth group about sexuality. Not an in, inappropriate discussion. Not anything that they should be ashamed to, to talk about and to hear about. But something from a biblical perspective that we better be talking about. Because shame on us for being silent about it. We're silent in church about things that our society is screaming about. And, and so often, isn't it true that we're silent as Christian parents and leaders and influencers in the lives of young people? We're silent when our kids' friends and their influencers are making their message loud and clear. And the thing is, that Jesus, in his teaching about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed these topics and did it without reservation. He did it without saying, well, hey, you know, uh, he did it without feeling stupid. He just said, here's the way it is. And he let everybody else deal with it. I love that in the teaching of Jesus. He didn't make apologies for what he was going to teach. He just taught it and said, here's the word of God. Y'all deal with it. And so maybe this morning, that's what we'll get from Jesus. Ultimately, it's God's kingdom, his rule that includes every part of our lives, even the parts that we want to think are ours to do with whatever we want. And that's really what this series is all about. Thy kingdom come, in the name of our sermon series, Lord, thy kingdom come in every part of my life. Every part. Even the parts, Lord, that I'm uncomfortable talking about. Even the parts that I don't want you to really have anything to do with. Even the parts I wish that preacher would never mention. And when he does, I want to get up and walk out, but that would be rude, so I don't do that. Even those parts, Lord, thy kingdom come. 
Jesus, by his life and his death and his resurrection, offers us the chance to enter his kingdom on terms of peace with God and then receive the the great blessings and benefits that his kingdom has to offer both now and forever. We're going to pick up in the Sermon on the Mount today in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Jesus is going to give the second and third of what are called antitheses, if you will, saying, here's, here's something you've heard, but let me tell you what it really means. And so he's defining righteousness according to God and righteousness in the eyes of God. And he's going to say, here's what the Old Testament commanded. And let me tell you what God really means by that. You guys have missed the point, he says to the Pharisees. You've totally missed the point. You don't understand it. And let me explain to you what it means. And so that's where we're picking up. Last week we talked about the fact that even though you haven't killed anybody necessarily, you can still murder people in your heart and in your mind and with your words. And today we get to a touchy subject as well. Verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, let's just take a time out real quick. I'm not going to cover everything the Bible has to say about divorce this morning, just so you know. It's a very complex and touchy subject, and I realize that. That's not my point today. If you want to talk some more about that, I would, I'd be happy. Let's look at the scripture. Let's talk some more about all those things. What I'm going to try to cover is what is Jesus actually talking about today and why is he talking about it? And we're going to try to drill down a little bit on that. To cover everything in divorce, we'd have to go to Matthew 19. We'd have to go to 1 Corinthians. And, and so on. we're not going to do all that today. But again, I'd love to be able to talk with you about it. I want you to know that, that in the church, there, there is no scarlet letter. Uh, there, there is there is nothing that says God cannot redeem and God cannot forgive and God cannot rebuild. There's nothing that says that. In fact, in the scripture, it says the exact opposite. That no matter what you've been through, whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault, that God's grace and God's mercy are readily available all the time to every person who will receive that. And so if you are a person this morning who has been broken down by your own choices regarding sexuality or marriage or by someone else's choices in those areas. Let me just tell you this. You don't stand today in a place of shame and condemnation. This is not why we came here today. You stand in a place where God's grace will be presented and and hopefully understood by you to the point where you can say, you know what, no matter what I've done, no matter what has happened to me, no matter the choices that I've made, God can put my life back together through the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what I will stand on today. So hear that. Don't hear, well, I've been divorced. Well, I committed adultery. Well, I've looked lustfully, so I'm terrible and I'm awful and I'm rotten. I'm going to hell. Let me tell you this. Hell is reserved for those who refuse to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And those who do place their faith in Jesus Christ will be transformed and you will be changed and those old desires will be replaced with new ones and God will make you new. And in, in that, that instant when he regenerates your soul, he will make you fit for heaven and unfit for hell. 
Place your faith in Jesus today. All right, all that's, all that's free. Verse 27. <clears throat> you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Jesus just stopped there. Jesus said, all right, here's, you know what the law is, right? Everybody got this, okay? He's talking to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. They were experts. They knew it all. They, in fact, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Memorized them. Go try memorizing Leviticus. Good luck with that. Good luck. You, know, you might be able to get through part of Genesis. Leviticus is going to trip you up. Numbers, that's just going to run together. They had memorized all this stuff. Jesus says, you've heard it said. You know the law, right? Yeah, okay, we got it. That's right. That's the law. You know, that's part of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. They knew all that. And they would have been able to truthfully claim that they have, they have kept what the law said to do. As it is written, they have kept it. They had not committed the physical act of having sexual relations outside their marriage. They said, yes, absolutely. Free and clear, they assumed. We got this. No sexual immorality going on here. We've not done anything. Nothing has happened. But Jesus went after them in a way that he would, that they would have preferred that he, that he didn't. And, and probably we prefer that he didn't either by the time we're done today. Because he was, as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, he was not just concerned with what they did or didn't do on the outside. What's he concerned with? He's concerned with the inside, right? He's concerned with their heart. He said, look, you can avoid these things on the outside, but let me just look kind of into you a second. And I'll tell you what you're about. He knew, and as we know too, that just because a person avoided the physical act of sexual immorality, it didn't necessarily mean that they were sexually pure. He goes on in verse 28. He says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her, or looks lustfully, other versions may say, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says, but I tell you, here's the extended and the internal application. Here's what God is really going for here. Not just what you avoid on the outside, but here's what's going on the inside. So he says, anyone who looks lustfully. And you say, whoa, hold hold on right there. I mean, this is where Jesus stops being the little nice teacher that we want him to be. The little Jewish rabbi that we can pat on the head and we kind of pull him, you know, out whenever we need something from Jesus. And sort of like the genie, you know, we just kind of rub the lamp and here he is. Oh, what do you need? Jesus stops being that guy, doesn't he? Of course, Jesus never was that guy. But he stops being that guy in our minds here, and he starts stepping all over our toes. He starts getting into our business just a little bit. As one of my friends here at church likes to say, he he stops preaching and he starts meddling, getting in your business. We've always been taught, especially the guys, that there's nothing wrong with looking. Hey, hey, we don't nothing there. We don't. Nothing wrong with looking, right? Fellas, that's what we've been taught. Listen, some of you grew up in homes where you just kind of encouraged. We've always been taught that. Jesus, however, says something different, doesn't he? He says to look lustfully, to, to lust for her is a, is a desire. It's to set your heart upon something. That's what the word means. It's to imagine more or to imagine what would be possible if. And we all know how our minds work, right? Your mind is really, really good at convincing you that you're not doing this when you actually are. And we all know what this temptation can be like and how we try to rationalize our giving into it, don't we? Now, I'll just tell you, Jesus isn't talking to just the guys here. So, ladies, you ain't off the hook. Sorry. 
he's not just talking to even just the married guys. What he's doing is making a very specific commitment about a general topic that the New Testament continues to unfold and discuss for us. Jesus would go on to talk more about it in Matthew 19. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians. There's more teaching about these things. So he's just simply talking about this very specific thing that he needed to address right then that is part of a much broader topic. We know that the idea of looking lustfully or sexual morality in the mind is not just reserved to one gender or the other. But it is for all of us to obey these commands. And really, this is the heart of the Tenth Commandment. Do you know what the Tenth Commandment says? Do not what? Anybody know? You know this. It's not your question. Thou shalt not. How about I put it in the King James? Thou shalt not. Tenth Commandment. Come on. You can do it. I know, it's too much pressure. Thou shalt not covet. Covet. You shouldn't want what ain't yours. You should not seek to have what is not yours. You should not place your mind and your heart upon those things that are not rightfully yours to have. That's the heart of the 10th commandment. That's what Jesus is talking about. Guess what? They had conveniently ignored that. They said, we haven't committed adultery. Well, how about wanting something that ain't yours? Uh, you know, la, 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 la. We, you know, no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. Now, it might be different in its manifestation for guys and for girls, but it really is all the same. Our lustful looking happens in person, wherever you might be, that that other person might be, that you, you notice, they notice, whatever it may be, and you begin to think, and you begin to dwell, and you begin to imagine, and so on. Or it's on the screen in front of you. Whether that's the television or your computer or your tablet or your phone or whatever it is that you might be looking at or it's in your mind. And that lustful kind of thought and attitude takes hold. For guys, of course, it's usually lusting first over what is seen. Now, ladies, just so you know, we like the way that you look. That's guys. Guys like the way that girls look. You understand that? For whatever reason, that's how God has built us. And so that's the temptation that comes our way. Guess what, ladies? Typically, not always, but typically it's first lusting over what you feel. Because guess what, guys? Ladies like for you to make them feel a certain way. You can be the most muscular dude in the whole world. If you're a jerk, she doesn't care. She doesn't care. But you could be the most compassionate, loving person, and you're not as muscular as you once were, thought you were, whatever. And she, man, she it just melts her heart. It's not always just those things. The lust goes beyond that. And, and of course, we know in our society that, that it's, it's not just what guys see. It can be what they feel, their escape from their miserable reality. It's not just what ladies feel, but it is what they see when they're tired of looking at the same old guy all the time. A couple of side notes real quick. One is just about the dangers in general of pornography. 
There are even secular organizations now that are, that are going after that industry. They have no biblical backup. They have no biblical reference. They claim no faith whatsoever. In fact, they would claim to be atheistic. And yet they are noticing the dangers of this. You know what it can do? It can change your brain. Literally can change the, the physiological structure of your brain. What happens is that when you, when you are overstimulated with sexual images or sexual thoughts, your brain produces dopamine like it's on steroids, the feel-good kind of hormone. And what happens is those channels in your brain get cut to receive that message every time you look at someone else. It changes your brain. also, of course, changes your relationships. Relationships are built on trust and built on love and built on commitment. And it's a breach of all of that, as we know. And, of course, this changes our society. Typically, typically... The idea in in pornography is to degrade women and make them an object of pleasure. And it has changed our society. Violent behavior has become more accepted. Just look at what's in the theaters right now. The sexual violence that is accepted and desired and is a bestseller and breaks box office records. And somehow we say, well... It's changed our society. Another another side note real quick is about our responsibility as parents and as a church. If we want to lead in this area as parents and as a church, we have got to have moral authority. That doesn't mean we're perfect. But we have to be able to stand and say, you know what? These are the battles that I have fought. These are the battles I have given to the Lord. And this is the path that he has me on. And I am committed to purity in these areas. And so as a result, let me help to lead you in these areas, whether as a parent or as a church. We've got to have courage as well. Uh, you know, I'll just be honest with you. When I get to this scripture this morning... I, I don't I don't really get excited about teaching all this stuff this morning because I, I I mean I know if I'm sitting out there where you are I'm like dude just get done please man this is uncomfortable Whew. Whew. I'm with you I get it but we've got to have courage to bring it up we've got to have courage to talk about it we've got courage to say you know what this is right in God's eyes and this is wrong in God's eyes and we have to stand on that. And I'll say this as a, as a, as a parent or as a, as a church member, as a leader, we can't be about shame, but we have to be about what God has provided that is beautiful when it is done his way. Jesus goes on in verse 31. He says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. He's talking about some certificate that must be given to the woman. Where, where did that even come from? Well, back in the days of Moses, Jesus would talk about this in Matthew chapter 19. Back in the days of Moses, there were guys divorcing their wives for no reason whatsoever. Uh, This permission was given, Jesus would say in Matthew 19, because their hearts were so hard toward their wives, they would treat them so unfairly, divorce them for no reason, and she is branded with a scarlet letter the rest of her life, and she could not marry anyone else. Now, back during that time, that, ladies, was a bigger deal than it, than it is today, than it has ever been, really, as far as our memories can go. An unmarried woman back then who could not be married because of how she was branded, because of being accused, essentially, of being an unfaithful or adulterous wife, she had no income. She had no way of supporting herself. Ladies, I know that many of you, you have great ways of supporting yourself. This may be hard to even imagine. But Jesus says, I'm not going to let that lady 
have the rest of her life ruined. God said in, in the Old Testament, this, this lady will not have the rest of her life ruined. I will make it to where the guy has to give her a certificate that says, I was legitimately divorced and so I can be remarried. You see what God was doing? Anybody that will tell you that God doesn't care about women, that God wants to press women down, has not read the entire Bible to understand it. God puts ladies on the same spiritual plane as men. When the New Testament refers to us as, as sons of God, ladies, you say, well, what about the daughters of God? Guess what? He is elevating you to a status that would have been far above a daughter back then. Daughter's a piece of property. The daughter is expendable. A son was an heir to all the benefits of the father. That's what God did for women. Don't ever think that God doesn't care about you if you're a lady. Don't ever think that God just wants men to dominate you if you're a lady. That's not the, that's not the case at all. Jesus pointed to the real problem, the, the hardening of their hearts. And so he tells, he tells them, I tell you, he says in verse 32, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He says, you're doing your women wrong. You're doing them wrong. The grounds for divorce, he says, is simple. If there's been sexual unfaithfulness, divorce here is permitted, he says. Now, there's more teaching, as I said, in the New Testament that rounds this out. I'm not going to get into it because we're going to run short on time. But why did he need to clarify this? Why would he need to say, you've heard it said that if you're going to, you know, if you're going to divorce your wife, give her a certificate. But, but let me tell you the real thing. Well, the prevailing teaching among the Pharisees was this. Catch this real quick. The prevailing teaching among the Pharisees, what they were taught, what they were teaching, was that, that if anything in the marriage was quote-unquote unseemly, as the Old Testament scripture would write it, then, then there was grounds for divorce. Well, the Old Testament had said, if, if there is unseemly behavior on the part of one or the other, then, then divorce can be permitted. Well, what the Old Testament meant was adultery. What the Old Testament meant was unfaithfulness. You know what the Pharisees did? They said, uh, well... You know, it's, uh, it's unseemly the way she cooks. She burnt dinner again last night. And as ridiculous as that sounds, you know what they did? They divorced their wife over it. Now, it sounds ridiculous, but isn't it interesting, the small things in marriage that add up? They, they would say it's unseemly the way that, that she looks now. She's 20 years older than when I married her. How in the world that happened the last 20 years? As if the guy is not also 20 years older than he was, you know. Well, she's unseemly now in the way that she looks. And guess what? Oh, I saw that other young girl over there. She looks a whole lot better. Unseemly appearance was grounds for divorce. And so Jesus takes back the issue from their ridiculous interpretations of it. They looked for reasons to get divorced, and he, he reiterates how much God values marriage. So what, what is he saying? What's Jesus say in all of this? As we saw last week, he's giving God's background, God's intent, God's real meaning, and his implications for all of these Old Testament commands. And so he's reiterating what they and what we often forget or dismiss or ignore. Here's what he says. That sexuality and marriage are gods to define and to dictate. They are gods to define and to dictate. Now, how do I get that from what Jesus said here? How do I get that? By, by putting his words, we saw this last week, by putting his words even with Old Testament scripture. Jesus says, you've heard it said, here's what the law says, and let me tell you what it means. By doing that, he claims to be God. 
Only God could say, let me tell you really what the scripture means. Really what it means. Let me interpret it exactly the way I meant for it to be interpreted. So he puts himself on par with God. So by explaining then its original intent, he's taking back these things from human preference and human explanation. And so as God, he's returning sexuality and marriage, the topics he's talking about, to God's original definition and desire. And so sexuality and marriage are God's to define and to dictate. Not us, not even the religious leaders. It's God and God alone who created these things. It's God and God alone who created those things. And so he alone has the right to dictate and to define what they are. He created sexuality. He created marriage. And none of us, not our institutions, not our government, not a court, not a nation, not social media, not even the church, not even me as a pastor of a church, none of us has the right to redefine or to redictate what marriage and sexuality is to be. And let me just tell you this real quick. It takes what I would call... Biblical gymnastics to get to a definition of marriage that is anything but one man, one woman for life. It, it takes, it takes, I mean, you got to jump all over the place, twist things here, move in and out here, redefine a few words here, take out of context, whatever you want. That's what it takes. I didn't say all that. Jesus and God said it. And so, you know what he said? Deal with it. There are things that I wish Jesus would say, eh, okay. But he doesn't, does he? Sexuality and marriage are God's to dictate and to define. And our role is to look to the creator of those things, to see his original design and intent, and to adjust our definitions, our beliefs, our habits, our thoughts, and our lifestyles accordingly. We adjust to God. He does not adjust to us. He never has. He never will. He never said he would. In fact, he said the opposite. Jesus came, what, announcing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what did he say in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17? Do you know the first word he said? Repent. You know what that means? He ain't adjusting. He's announcing. Here it is. Y'all get on board. That's what he's saying. Now, I realize for the most part, I'm preaching to the choir here today. I get that, okay? He was, man, is he angry? I'm not angry. I just want to be sure that we understand God does not adjust, nor will he, nor can we expect him to adjust to us in our society and our beliefs. We are required to adjust to him. Now, what what does that involve? Let me give you two things, and then one quick thing to do uh, this week to make commitment to it. The two things that this truth involves, first is radical purity. I haven't covered verses 29 to 30 yet. Those are the verses when Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, what? Get rid of that thing. Gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, what? Cut that thing off. Because he says it's better for you to go through life maimed, if you will, disabled, than for you to go through life as an unrepentant sinner without faith in Jesus Christ and spend eternity in hell. That's what he's talking about. He says go to any measure. Be as drastic as you need to be to get yourself on board with God's definition and God's dictation of of sexuality and marriage. So it's got to be drastic. It it would be something also that would be public, wouldn't it? You walk around without an eye, without a hand, people will notice, won't they? Just the way it is. They will notice. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. If you get on board with God's version and God's definition of sexuality and marriage, people are going to look at you like you're nuts. I mean, they're going to think that you are are on the wrong side of history, you are behind the times, you don't make any sense, you're old-fashioned, whatever. They're going to think you're nuts. 
You know, one of the things that, 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 I would, that was drilled into my head when I was a young minister in my first church was, was things, how to protect yourself when it comes to uh, members of the opposite sex and so on. And so we were told, you don't ride in a car with somebody, with a woman you're not related to. You don't have lunch alone with a woman you're not related to. Uh, you know, so, so one day, there's a, there's a, a young lady who's about my sister's age, and, and I'd known her for a long time. She worked with our youth ministry. She worked in the office there at church. We had to go somewhere across town, and it was only since she, she and I that only needed to be involved in the meeting. And we're meeting with a, with a graphic design company. And so as silly as it seemed, you know what we did? We drove separate cars 30 minutes across town because we didn't have a chaperone, if you will. I had a buddy, and every once in a while, if he had to have a meeting or whatever, he'd say, hey, can you chaperone? I'd do the same. All right, hey. So he just, you know, he'd get a free lunch, or I'd get a free lunch or whatever, just sit there and, you know. But we were, we were bound and determined that we were going to make sure to protect ourselves from those things. You're going to look crazy. It's also something, if you gouge out an eye, you cut off a hand, it's permanent, isn't it? You know, going back. You don't grow back an eye. You don't grow back a hand. So the idea here is to repent, to go a new direction. That takes time. If you're a person who says, you know, man, I've been living in sin in these areas for a long time, it takes time, but it's possible. Radical purity, doing anything and everything to stay on board with what God wants in our lives in the areas of sexuality and marriage. The second thing is radical commitment. Verse 32, he says, I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual morality. Jesus didn't allow their loopholes. But Jesus, I'm tired of him. I'm tired of her. Or Jesus, you know, I'm single. This doesn't even matter. It doesn't even apply to me today. I just speak to those who are unmarried this morning. Uh, if, if you believe that one day God might lead you into marriage, if that's a desire of your heart, regardless of how young or, or old you might be, if you say, you know what, I would like to be married for the first time or married again someday. L- let me just tell you, When it comes to radical purity and radical commitment, wherever you go, there you are. And what I mean by that is that the habits and the lifestyle and the things that you do right now will be the things that you do in a marriage, period. It will not change you. It will not change you. And so if you want to be a person who is in a biblical marriage one day, start with radical purity. And I'm going to do this sexuality thing God's way. Start with radical commitment. I'm going to fulfill every commitment that I have ever made. I'm going to do all that I can to get in good practice. We could find a million ways to argue with Jesus about all this stuff. A million ways to justify our own definition and whatever we want. A million ways for all of our stuff to be seen as okay in the eyes of the world. But just because something is acceptable or even legal doesn't mean it's right in God's eyes. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is to be received. And when it is received, it enables us to live out all the things that he wants for us. And so what does, in this context today, the kingdom of God enable for us? It enables this statement, that I will do whatever it takes to protect the integrity of my sexuality and marriage. That is what the kingdom of God enables you can't do this on your own. i just tell you this. You can try, you can try and try and try and try. Oh, I'm really going to... No, not going to happen. You're going to fail. But by the power of God, 
you can say, I will do whatever it takes because God is enabling me to do these things. So I will be drastic and I will be public if need be. And I will make it a permanent commitment. I will pursue God's best for me. I'll receive God's grace and forgiveness and renewal as I repent. I will seek reconciliation if there's a broken relationship because of these things. I will, if I'm an unmarried person, I will date only those with whom a biblical marriage is possible. Thy kingdom come, Lord, in my sexuality and my marriage. God's power, as I mentioned from the beginning, is available to you today. This is a subject that nobody wants to come forward on this morning. (laughs) I get it. But right where you are, in this room, right where you are, God can make you clean through His grace and His forgiveness of sin. And God can give you a new start through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And he can keep you where he wants you to be by the empowerment of his Holy Spirit living in you. And maybe, just maybe, you say, Lord, I'm done with having my mind stolen. And God, I'm done with having my relationships stolen. And God, I'm done with having my world stolen. And I'm done with it all, Lord. I'm so sick of it. And this morning, God, I'm going to return to you, and I will do whatever it takes to maintain the integrity of my sexuality and my marriage. Make that your prayer this morning. Let's pray together. I'm not going to make you lift your eyes this morning, but I, I I want you, as you bow your head, as you spend these closing moments anticipating whatever you'll eat for lunch. As you spend these closing moments with your mind now going to all the things that you've got to accomplish, would you just for a moment let God speak directly to your heart about this issue? Young or old, it affects us all. No one is immune. I wonder today, would you just simply say, Lord, I want my mind back. God, I want my relationships back. Lord, I want my world back from what has been stolen by misuse and and redefinition of sexuality and marriage. Lord, I, I don't want those things anymore. Lord, give me back my mind and my relationships and, and my world. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He alone can make you new. He alone can give you grace and forgive you of sin. So come to Him this morning. Pour out your heart to Him. Receive His grace. Lord Jesus, we thank You for that grace. We thank You for the truth. We thank You for Your love. We thank You that none of those takes a back seat to the other. That Lord, somehow, You keep them all in tandem. That You tell us the truth while loving us and giving us the grace it takes to get on board with Your truth. So, Lord, may we be the ones this morning who make the adjustments, adjust our hearts and our minds to be exactly who you want us to be in this area. Lord, I pray for those who are specifically struggling in their minds and and with lustful thoughts and, and Lord, with a, a lack of purity, a lack of commitment. Lord, today, may, may today be the day of repentance and of receiving your grace that washes over us to make us clean. Set us on a new path, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close, please.
Let's sing. 